Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. Yes, that could mean you too. The workouts have been designed to fit into your life so you can move when you can. The 15 minutes you can squeeze in before work. The 20 minutes you get to yourself while the baby naps. The half hour you can spare at lunch. There's a routine for you no matter what your day looks like. A reminder as well, this is included in your Mum Mia subscription. If you are a Mum Mia subscriber, you already have access to Move. Download the Move app and log in with your Mum Mia login. Head to move.mamamia.com.au and use code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. From Mamma Mia, welcome to The Spill, your daily pop culture fix. I'm Laura Brodnick. And I am Kiri, And honey. she's back, I finally. Back. <laughs> yes, it was glorious. Tasmania is amazing. Shout out to all the people that live in Hobart, including Amber, one of our spillers that I met. It was just a wonderful time, but I did did miss you very much, Laura Brodnick. Well, I should hope so. And you wrote a beautiful newsletter about <gasps> me. Well, did. about the spill, but about I mostly me. read the bits about me for our M Plus community members who are part of that. Yes, it was good. I did maybe say that we have maybe a lifelong friendship. I read that. Like that. that. I, I don't like, know. Yes. I don't want to get into she it. She does. Like, you're like, I'm embarrassed. I don't want to say it. <laughs> You'd love me, whatever. <laughs> it's true. I do. Well, on the show today, we have a very funny and lovely interview with the winner of RuPaul's Drag Race Down Under. Stay tuned for that later in the show because she told me some stuff about the finale I think most people don't know. A few secrets were dropped is all I'm going to say. But first, the entertainment news headlines of the day. I have news. What's the hot gas? I want more headlines. So right now, the Australian news headlines, or at least the entertainment ones, because I feel like the news headlines have actual proper serious news to deal with. But the entertainment news headlines are centred on an apparent feud erupting between Sunrise host Natalie Barr and former Sunrise host Samantha Armitage. So, I mean, there's so many headlines around, but there are things like Samantha Armitage tells Natalie Barr to forget about her. From name calling to party invite snubs and caddy swipes, inside Sam Armitage's long-running feud with Natalie Barr as her riff with Sunrise successor explodes with one scathing tweet. Oh my God, I love reading these. They're so funny. They're so salacious. (laughs) Sam shocked tweet about Natalie Barr. Anyway, I'll stop. I could go on forever. There's lots of them is all I'm saying. However, what a lot of these headlines have failed to capture is what has actually happened to the news this week week. So for anyone who's on a cross, in March of this year, Natalie replaced Sam on the top rating breakfast show after Sam Armitage stepped away for a number of reasons to do with her family and wanting time away from such a high profile job that required a lot of long hours. So previously to that, Natalie had been Sunrise's newsreader and a film co-host on the show for more than 18 years. So to an outside viewer, it seemed like the logical choice that she would step in and replace Sam. Now, there's always been rumours of a feud between the two of them. Nothing's ever been confirmed, but just those kind of usual feuds that swarm around anyone who works in that kind of high-profile part of the entertainment industry. Things kind of kicked off a couple of days ago with an interview that Natalie gave to the Australian Women's Weekly. And when the interview was released, it garnered a lot of headlines because what people took away from the interview is that Natalie had said that she and Sam don't talk. But what she actually said was, we got along very well in the office for sure. But the truth is, we didn't really see each other outside the office. We had vastly different lives, I guess. 
We were in different places. She was hanging out with her friends and I was spending time with my family. So yes, we were in different places. And that's all she said, but it really kicked off. And so this week, Sam Armitage was a guest on the Kyle and Jackie O show. And that is the first thing they asked her. What's the latest with the Natalie Barr stuff? It fired back up again, I noticed. <laughs> oh, but has it really? I don't think it really has. Well, what was the latest, Jackie? That I well, she someone said she said did something. an interview where she said, to be honest, you guys weren't that close anyway because you didn't I have a lot in common and that you wouldn't really talk when the cameras were off. Yeah, well, look, I mean, it's better to be talked about than not, isn't it? in this life. I thought everyone might forget about me when I was having my little sabbatical, but but it seems they're not, you know. No, people still want to know because they're sus, you see. No. Yeah, but people are sus. Jackie's right. They're sus as. They're sus as. (laughs) Yeah, well, look, there's nothing interesting going on there, honestly. Kyle's right, people are sus. But then things escalated a little bit more yesterday when Samantha Armitage shared the audio of that interview on her Twitter account and with it she wrote, look, I'm out. Nat's wanted the job forever and she's finally got it. She just needs to get on and enjoy it and forget about me. Even though I'm unforgettable, hashtag peace out. We don't know if they have a feud. For all we know, they go along great and this is just a huge beat up or maybe they don't talk. We'll never actually know the truth. But people are so interested in this because mm-hmm. obviously it is one of the top rated shows in Australia. But if there's two women on a breakfast show or any kind of TV show, people are always going to imagine that they have a feud. You know, that's the true drama there. Historically, none of them leave on their own. So I think Sam Armitage is kind of the exception to the rule. So people are still trying to find drama there when she's left because most of them get ousted, right? It's like, oh, you're not... I don't even, it reminds me of that. I get weird about swearing, but like that unfuckable thing. I know that's not the same thing, but it's of an age thing where you're not desirable to be on a TV morning breakfast show, but all the men seem to stay there literally until they retire or past retirement age. But yeah, I mean, I always say that little thing, there's no smoke without fire. What I'm saying is that all the headlines around it about like them slamming each other and that, that actually hasn't happened. So I think if you're just reading the headlines, you're going to get a very skewed view of what's actually happening. I mean, maybe they're taking the tact of we'll stop talking about it now and hope that it'll go away. Like I did wonder if maybe they would do a bit of damage control and post like Natalie would post a photo of her and Sam be like just to clarify we had a great working relationship. I wish her all the best. Like I wonder if something little like that might kind of stomp the fires but at the same time it's been going on for years so I feel like no matter what they posted people aren't going to let up with this rumour that they hate each other. I know you want me to stop this here but like go on. Sam (laughs) she's written Nats wanted the job forever and she's finally got it that's not diffusing the situation she's adding smoke to my fire that I predicted I I know but that could be true Natalie could have wanted the job for ages and now she has got it she did but that's a dig they're doing undercover digs it's a dig off (laughs) I will say though like you don't have to like your colleagues. They're people that you've worked with. You've been thrown into an environment and you're there to do a professional job. So you get along when you're at work, but you don't necessarily have to like each other and that's totally fine. We're all adults here. Well, some of us. In an op-ed for New York Magazine, Rachel Lindsay has opened up about her experience on the US Bachelor franchise. So she was first a contestant on The Bachelor and then she became the first black lead, male or female, on The Bachelorette, saying that she felt increasingly exploited and ultimately realising that she was the show's token. So her piece comes a few weeks after she revealed she was stepping down from Bachelor Happy Hour, which is a podcast, citing exhaustion from defending herself against a toxic fandom. And it also comes almost a year since her interview with longtime host Chris Harrison, 
in which he defended the front runner and eventual winner of the first black male bachelor, that's Matt James, and the winner was Rachel Kirkconnell, who was revealed at the time to have a racially insensitive past. So that interview led to Chris Harrison taking a leave of absence as host. And then last week we covered the confirmation that he was stepping down forever with a six-figure payout. Must be nice. On the other hand, Rachel has been hounded by Bachelor Nation fans for questioning and pushing against the franchise and for calling out their racist missteps. So this op-ed was very long and very, very juicy and interesting. She talked about the fact that the franchise has spent 19 years cultivating a toxic audience. She said they have constantly been given a product at once, a Midwestern slash Southern white, blonde, light-eyed Christian. She noted that not all of them are like that and actually divided the group into two. So she said there's Bachelor Nation and then there's Bachelor Clan. She said Bachelor Clan is hateful, racist, misogynistic, xenophobic and homophobic. They're afraid of change. They're afraid to be uncomfortable. They're afraid when they get called out. It was also interesting because she spoke about the casting process and her actually applying to go on the show. And she said, after all, they had cast me because on paper I made sense. I couldn't be like the bachelorettes who had come before, somebody who was still living at home with her parents who had a pageant queen on her resume. I was a lawyer. My father was a federal judge. I had a squeaky clean record. I had to be a good black girl, an exceptional black girl. I had to be someone the viewer could accept. It was just such an interesting op-ed just talking about how she realised that she was being put forward as the next Bachelorette and the first black Bachelorette kind of halfway through her season because she was a front runner on the season of The Bachelor and that there was a few missteps there over the 10 weeks that she filmed where she did have a couple of meltdowns because she could see how people were being kind of portrayed on screen and she was seeing her narrative come alive and she got into one specific incident with the other front runner who she was kind of against where she had been sitting down reading a book and the other girl had come up to her to talk about the conversation about how they hadn't been getting along and she goes looking back on it I could see that they were setting up that narrative because that person who was white ended up crying and because she was stoic and didn't show any emotion she knew that kind of old trope of the angry black woman was kind of going to play out white woman tears exactly and so she also said but they never showed that in full on television because they knew that they had to keep her image so squeaky clean with the audience so that when they put her forward as the first black bachelorette people would warm to her right and she talked about another instance of her having two pre-mixed drinks and getting super wasted and one of the girls holding back her hair and then having to go and stand at a final rose ceremony looking a bit disheveled Shevelled, but that that footage never made it on screen. And so it makes me think of all the other black contestants that came before her that didn't have the same story of her and weren't being groomed to kind of become that first black bachelorette and the things that were shown about them to kind of show that narrative. It was just so interesting and I really encourage you all to read it. It's made me feel, I mean, I think I forget sometimes how bad that franchise is Mm. until you hear about her kind of wading through it. But she stepped away from it completely now and she's just saying like enough is enough, it's not changing and she's going to protect herself moving forward. And we'll link the full piece in our show notes so you can read it. 
So, Kiris, while you were living it up in Tasmania without me, I wasn't jealous because I interviewed the first ever winner of RuPaul's Drag Race Down Under, which has been airing on Stan. And I didn't say the name of the winner at the top just because even though it aired on Saturday and you should have watched it already, yeah. a few people get weird about spoilers. So I interviewed the amazing Kidamine, who was one of the New Zealand contestants and took out the first ever crown. Oh, my God. I was so excited to see her win. She was my favourite when we went to the premiere at Sydney Opera House she was just fantastic and I could just tell she had something about her and I really think she deserved it exactly so the chat is really fun we get into her historic win some of the big emotional moments on screen that made her cry we also got into the story of why she didn't kind of gel with the audience and viewers at the beginning and how she kind of pushed through that but she also told me some things about the filming of the finale that I kind of suspected but I had no idea she would just come out and say like this is what we did and I've told a few fans in the office afterwards like did you you know that the winner doesn't actually... Anyway, I won't get into it now, but yeah, it yeah, is yeah. mind-blowing. So if you haven't watched it, go back and watch it on Stan. It's a joyful time. And here is our chat with the funny and lovely Kidamine. Welcome to The Spill. We are so excited to have you here. Oh, thank you, Laura. It's a pleasure to be here. For the first time ever, I'm actually sad this is a podcast. Our listeners aren't getting to sort of get the full look that I'm getting. You look amazing. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're a sweetheart. I tell you what, it's now... 4 p.m. and I've been in it since 4 a.m. So 12 hours in, I tell you what, I have some intense light diffusing. <laughs> and you situation. still look flawless. I don't know what your secret <laughs> is. <laughs> well, are you still on a high from the announcement over the weekend and your win? Because I'm sure you've been holding this in for a while. I am on such a high. It is totally crazy. I don't think it's truly hit me yet. I feel amazing and I'm so blessed and so grateful. It's funny because everyone says like, oh, you know, how did you hold that secret in? And how, like, I actually didn't know I'd won. The, I was going cut. to ask you about that, yeah. right? So they filmed different endings, is that right? So you all have to right. react on stage and that's so it doesn't leak at all. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah, that's 100% the vibe. So it's interesting too, because people say like, oh, you know, that's a bit disappointing because you can't give like a genuine reaction, right? Seemingly because you're doing it that many times. But the truth of the matter is the least authentic reaction is actually the takes that I didn't win because you're kind of just like, right. oh, yay. And you're thinking like, if that's the take they use, like that sucks. Like I'm the one being like, yay. And, you know, I would be happy for them, but it's a formality of like, yay, go you, oh, go you, go you. You know, finish the episode, boom. It's like, okay, now to the other one. Those are the less authentic takes for me but that moment when it was my turn when RuPaul said okay now it's Kita's turn and stand here and she said you know Kita you're a winner baby it just overflowed it was amazing it hit me like a ton of bricks and I had that realization like whoa if I am the winner this is that moment right and it just hit me and it was so authentic so we were like oh it's a bit of a shame it's like don't you worry you like felt it. it's you so real it. yeah <laughs> And we work our whole lives to get up to that moment. Yeah, it's pretty real when you're up there. And where exactly were you when you heard the news? Like I saw some of your Instagram stories and coverage, but did you actually have a lot of people around you and you had that big celebration moment? Yeah, I did. So I was supposed to go to Sydney and spend it with all my sisters. Things happened and I couldn't get there. So last minute, my friends and family all came together and we got some pizza and we sat in my lounge. We just all watched it. And if I couldn't be with my Drag Race sisters mm. at the special event, this was the next best thing. So very grateful that I was able to spend it with people I love. And um, it's still such a blur, right. such a blur. <laughs> I mean, like I had had a few champagne 
veins of as well. Course. So like that's probably adding <laughs> to the blurb. <laughs> I'm assuming that once the news was announced, the messages between all the queens from the show were flying thick and fast because you could finally talk about it. Who had the best one? Was there anyone that hit you with a bit of a, a zinger or a congratulations or anything like that? Anita messaged me the next day. She came and partied with me. She met me in town. Oh, lovely. She messaged me the next day saying, you are such a drunk, fabulous little winner. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently I was a write-off. So like she read me a little bit there. As you should be, yeah. And speaking of that bond, because that was kind of a big topic of conversation this season is people saying that we saw a lot of the drama and the kind of little callbacks to each other and that sort of stuff. And I understand why we see that because that makes good TV. But every time I talk to one of the contestants, they're very much like, it wasn't like that behind the scenes and I remember being with you all at the blue carpet premiere and the after party and all you just saw was this amazing kind of love and supportiveness between you all do you think that we only got to see a bit more of the drama this season a hundred percent like the love was real between all of us I know Electra had like a hard time and like I didn't actively see it in the moment but it's a pressure cooker so Mm. we all respond to that differently and I think for the most part, like we're all pretty tight, you know, because no one's gone through that experience other than us 10 crazy drag queens. So that's pretty special and that's a bond that should be respected, you know. Well, it really does come through. It's very beautiful to watch. Mm. And um, speaking as you said of watching it back now that we're at the end of it, we as the audience forget that you guys aren't always seeing what people are saying in interviews or drama that's happening or to people's performances. Was there a shocking moment that you saw kind of unfold watching it back where you thought to yourself, wow, I did not even know that was happening or I did not see that coming? Everyone being really hard on Electra, I really didn't see that. Right. And I was so surprised. And I thought, you know, has that come down to editing? Is that something that they've created? But I've spoken to Electra about it and she goes, no, girl, like it was hard for her. Right. So I feel guilty that I didn't pick up on that. I guess I was kind of so in the zone of like critiquing everything that I was doing that I wasn't actively engaged enough to see that happening toward her. Well, I guess we're only seeing such a small part of it when you've got cameras on you all day and you're going through so much filming and performances and everything. So I think it's always important to remember that we're only seeing a snapshot of what's actually going on on that stage. For sure, yeah. And you're going to get the stuff that's like the most juicy. So if that is the most juicy, then it's not too bad, is it? Yeah, exactly. No, it was amazing to watch. And I want to ask you about that finale performance, because when it came down to that lip sync to physical, obviously that was so make or break. You could see they were kind of choosing who was going to be the winner. Did you go into that with kind of a battle plan? Because you came out on stage, you had a prop, you had moves. What was the kind of story behind that? We had this little green room where like a lot of like the supplies were sort of like our holding pen where we'd have our lunch and it was nearing the end of the competition. We had been told physical was going to be the song. I look over at the first aid kit and I was like, wouldn't it be fabulous to do a rubber glove and pretend I'm doing a physical on stage? Right. (laughs) So yeah, I grabbed the rubber glove, had a bit of a play with it and then it just went from there. I was like, I'm going to do a bit of floor work, you know? Yes, you did. (laughs) I'm going to dive on and try and lift my leg as high as I can, which is probably like a good like 12 degrees. No, it was so good. And it really set you apart in that finale. You know, they always say that you've got to do something to set yourself apart and make yourself like that key winner. And I feel like you really did that there. Oh, thank you. And Nita Wiglet's always said, if you don't have talent, have a gimmick. Exactly. So, you know, <laughs> I made sure I had some wings and a glove, you know. Oh, you looked amazing. <laughs> Speaking of that kind of talent and coming into the show, obviously everyone came in very strong. But as the show went along, you really emerged as a favourite and a winner. Do you think that people maybe underestimated you a little at the beginning and you kind of came in and surprised them at the end? Like, how do you feel about how the public's perception of you grew over time? 
I definitely do think people underestimated me, but I think rightly so. I What you don't see in the show, and I touch on it, but it wasn't really developed as a storyline. I was hard on myself the entire time. I know what I'm capable of when I'm in drag and that was not coming through. I couldn't break into that and I couldn't work out why. I've realized now that it's because I was still being my boy self with a drag face on, you know, like I wasn't having that process of like engaging with a live audience and like having a drink and like getting into that zone. And for me, I just couldn't get into that zone that I'm usually in when I'm in drag. So Definitely, I think people were underestimating me, but because they hadn't seen what I was capable of yet. But like finally, and I'm so grateful that I was kind of able to sort it out just in time. Because I feel like, you know, if I took a second longer to get there, we wouldn't be, you know, having this conversation with a crown with this on my head, you know, with this (laughs) crown on my head. Oh, that is so amazing. But I think people got to see so many different sides of you as the show progressed, which is, I think, something that gets people more emotionally invested in the queens and different shows. And especially in this finale episode, I mean, you really spoke so openly and emotionally about your personal experiences. And I think that scene at the end where Rue's holding up the pictures of your younger self and you're giving a message to your younger self. And I can't imagine anyone sat through that without tearing up. It was really beautiful. What was kind of going through your mind in that moment? It's interesting, you know, when you're tasked to talk to your young self, because Mm. you have to put yourself in this place of knowing everything you've gone through in your life, but then putting yourself in a mindset of like, before any of that shit happens, before any of the good, but before any of the bad happens. So if it was like telling it to myself or any other little kid, it would just be like, just keep going, keep going, bro. Like you have to, don't stop because like at the end of the day, like you will be a happy little camper, but like you just got to push through, you know? Well, it was really beautiful to watch. I think that kind of encapsulates what people watch Drag Race for. It's the beautiful costumes and performances, but then you have those moments of emotion in real life that really carry through. So it was definitely a beautiful thing to see in the finale. Do you have a spot that you're going to keep your crown in sort of pride of place? Because I often feel like Oscar winners, they always have a weird place where they keep their Oscar, whether it's like a doorstopper in their bathroom or they get like a shield (laughs) made for it or something. Have you thought about where the crown's going to live? I'm going to get like a little shelf, maybe a little box for it. And I think it'll sit just like above like my makeup station. It'll definitely be in my drag room somewhere proudly displayed. Exactly, the ultimate win. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us on The Spill today. It has just been an absolute joy to watch you on Drag Race Down Under. Congratulations again, and we can't wait to follow everything you do next. Thank you, Laura. Oh, it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Well, thank you so much for listening to The Spill today. The two of us back together, better than ever. Probably (gasps) not. Uh, Follow us on Instagram if you want to hear more of that gold. And if you're listening to the show, please follow us. Leave us a review. We've had a few nice ones lately, and it really does mean the world to us when you leave us a review. This episode of The Spill was produced by myself, Laura Brodnick, and Madeline Joannou, with audio production by Leah Porges. We'll see you at mamamia.com.au. Bye. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures.